Welcome to her fullest potential. The community of women looking to minimize stress, maximize success, and live a more joyful life. It is time to rise together and start building the world we dream to live in. It starts with you, and it starts here. Hello, everybody, and welcome on to today's episode. I am so excited to introduce our guest for today. She has spent the last decades of her life facilitating transformational experiences in the wilderness. Her pursuit to create her grounding source began while working as a senior field instructor in wilderness therapy and saw the lasting change that intention and ceremony has on individuals' lives. With over 15,000 hours of experience, her mission is to empower women to put themselves first and experience the power of the wilderness firsthand. So welcome Marissa O'Grady Kessner to today's episode. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, no problem. This is so exciting. I love doing podcasts. They're so fun. So, um, I know wilderness therapy is a huge part of your story and your work. So can we just start with talking about what wilderness therapy is? Yeah. Wilderness therapy. Um, it's a big can of worms and it has a lot of weird connotations. People often think like, so you're taking troubled youth into the woods and making them fend for themselves. It's like, no, it's 2022. We haven't done that for like 20 years. I think at the beginning, it was kind of an intense, like figure it out, be tough type of thing. Whereas now uh, wilderness therapy is clinically based therapy um, with some of the best therapists in the country. And they're working with youth and young adults. Typically I was working a lot with, I'm not a therapist. I was working as a field staff. So working eight days on six days off out in the field. Um, And these are youth who are struggling with some of the bigger issues. Like they're not like your run of the mill teenager. They are having more extreme depression and anxiety that has manifested in just poor coping mechanisms. So that can look like drug and alcohol abuse or eating disorders or self-harm or just like in general, like promiscuity to an extreme of like level or um, like destructive behaviors or just like anger, frustration. Um, So working with them in a wilderness setting is what we were doing. So my job out there was to help facilitate and carry out the therapeutic plan set in place by the therapist. And that looked like running therapeutic groups that looked like working one-on-one with each client, kind of helping them to get their therapeutic assignments done, Um, as well as like using the the power of the wilderness. The wilderness is so good at teaching us things about ourselves and whatever's going on in the, what we call the front country or at home will eventually manifest in the wilderness. And we see this in ourselves all the time, I think. And that's what's so beautiful is if we have something going on like at home or at work, and then we go out into like, do something else in our lives. Like maybe we're gonna go do the sport that we like, or we're gonna go, um, do something with our family, just a different venue. Usually that other thing shows up eventually. Um, and so in the wilderness therapy setting, we're just helping to show the mirror of what is going on and then trying to help them see something different and choose a different path. Um, and it's not my job to 
fix it all or figure it all out, but it's there to support and love and care for people um, and show compassion for the process. And it's hard being human. It's hard being a teenager. And the wilderness is a really great venue for that. It, it really holds us in a different way than being in a house with technology and with all of our triggers always there. Um, it's nice to be in a, a safe space. Yeah, definitely. Being outside is, um, or for me at least, can be a huge restorative or I'm having a hard time saying what I want to say. Yes, I agree. <laughs> In my own experience, I definitely agree with that. And so what was your journey into wilderness therapy? How did you end up there in your profession? Oh man, it's so wild. I started going on wilderness canoeing trips when I was 12 years old. I grew up in Minnesota and my mom basically got sick of having me around the house. I think I was a terror of a teenager, bless her heart for like putting up with me. Cause I was so, I had so many feelings, <laughs> uh, and I just needed, she needed somewhere to send us. Um, so she sent me to summer camp. Um, I went to this summer camp and I fell in love with the wilderness. So this was like 12 years old. And then when I was 17, I went back every year. So for six years in a row, I went back on these wilderness canoeing trips that got longer in length each year, the last one and in more intense locations. So when I was 17, I did a 50 day Arctic canoe trip, which is still to this day, like one of the most badass things I've ever done. Like still one of the hardest things I've ever done, like emotionally, physically, like we went like 600 miles and we're traveling by river and it was completely unsupported. We had everything we needed in these canoes in the barren tundra. <laughs> and being on those trips, I had amazing guides. So we have like somebody in their early twenties who is guiding us, who's been guiding there for a while. And one of my guides worked in wilderness therapy and I just, she would tell us these stories and I was just like, what is this? And I just heard all of these alternative lifestyles, basically like people who were working in California and just living out of their cars and working in outdoor education and doing all sorts of things. And so basically I decided in that moment, like, I was like, all right, I'm going to go to college. And then when I graduate college, I'm going to move into my van, which I didn't have a van at the time. Eventually, I actually ironically acquired a minivan that was like a thousand dollars. And when I graduated college, I moved into my minivan and I moved out West and I started working in outdoor education um, in California. I did that for a couple of seasons. Somewhere in there, I tore an ACL. That sucked had to like go home for a little while. I also spent a lot of time guiding canoe trips in Northern Minnesota while I was in college. And then eventually I just found my way into wilderness therapy. Eventually I like finally applied. I felt like for a long time, I felt like I needed to have a certain amount of experience in order to apply to work at this job. Um, and you do, and you don't like wilderness therapy. They're kind of always hiring. It's easily one of the hardest jobs around. Um, it's just, it's really trying. You're working with kids who don't really want to be there and you're out in the wilderness for eight days at a time. Like it's, it gets tiring to be doing that year round. Um, but I loved it. I worked it for like two and a half years, three years longer than most people do. Most people work it for about a year. Um, and it just felt like a natural progression. It was what I loved to do. I loved learning about myself. I was a sociology and psychology major in college. 
So all of like my love for the wilderness, my love for like the human mind, my love for supporting people all got to come together into wilderness therapy. Um, and that really manifested into me then eventually like creating my business from having like this view of how we can support people and how you can like, if this is powerful for kids who are in intensive therapy and who don't really want to be there, this has to be powerful for people who are like really desiring change and really desiring getting out there and doing something different. So can you tell us more about your business model and what that looks like now? Yeah. So I started my business with no understanding of what starting a business is like didn't take a single business class, didn't know anything about it. My husband, but he was my boyfriend at the time. He had like this like, like kind of photo business where he would like do photo and video periodically. Um, and now that now he actually has that as like a full-fledged business. He's doing great. Uh, but at the time, like I knew nothing about business. I didn't know anything about sales. I'd never sold a thing in my life. Uh, but I listened to a book and I was like, great, I'm going to start a business. I can do this event. If anybody can do it, I can do it. And I think I have a lot of confidence and I have a lot of perseverance. Those are two things that like working in the wilderness for long periods of time really taught me is you have to do things confidently um, and you have to persevere because just because you're doing it confidently, like that's not really helpful if you're like doing it blind and like not listening to feedback. But if you're doing it confidently and you're recognizing that like, oh, this is hard, I have to pivot. This is working. This isn't working. Um, that's kind of where I started is like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to figure it out. So I basically realized how powerful, um, what we call is a solo wilderness experience. So being on a solo, spending time alone is, does something really unique to the human experience. Doesn't matter who you are, how long you've been doing something, how long you've been in the wilderness, spending time alone is special. Um, and I saw this happening over and over again. And then I realized that there was no venue for this to happen for like the regular person. You basically had to be a student going on a month long like Knowles course or like some sort of like wilderness course in order to access um, a wilderness solo experience, or you had to be like in a therapeutic model set in the wilderness. There just was no access to it. Um, and I find it so powerful. So I created a three-day wilderness solo experience, which is an event that we call Solitude here at Grounding Source. And this event is based around togetherness. It's based around empathy and care and compassion. It's based around vulnerability. I would say vulnerability is like one of the number one values of grounding source and something that we value so much. It's so important to share the real things so that somebody else can then validate you. Because if we have these hard things going on, it's really hard to be validated in it in our own head. But when we share it for the world, when we share our story, it allows somebody else to be like, hey, that sounds hard. Or like, yeah, that's happened to me too. And it just allows that like human psyche to really like level out and kind of like, be like, oh, I'm not crazy. This is great. Um, we teach everybody everything they need to know about the wilderness. We make it really simple. There's one thing spending like the last over a decade of my life in the wilderness has taught me is 
that we don't need to suffer in the wilderness to have a good time and for it to be powerful. <laughs> I'm really good at making sure that we can be comfortable in the wilderness. It's probably one of my number one, like most important things. Um, so we bring people out, they have a day of togetherness. And then there's also, it's all centered around this 24 to 30 hours where each person is spending time alone in their own space in the wilderness. And you can think about it like they're out of sight from each other, they're out of sight from me, but I know where they're at. I can keep everybody safe. We're making sure they have all the food and water and gear that they need. So it's not like you're just like hiking off into the wilderness and you're free. Um, it's more like, hey, you're gonna have this space. You're gonna be alone. And it's truly magical what comes up for people after just having some time alone, especially women who are struggling or women who are busy and have a, I mean, every woman is busy doing a million things and our brains are madness. And we have 10 different lists with 30 different things on them. Um, and when you have an extended period of time where you literally just can't do those things and you can't uh, make lists on your phone or listen to music or scroll through whatever answer emails like it's it's really magical what happens so one thing I know that you speak about in your bio is that you observed in your time in wilderness therapy the power that intention and ceremony has so can you talk about what the difference is between intention and ceremony and maybe how that contributes to that magical experience that happens when we take solitude in nature mm, yeah so Intention is different from a goal. Oftentimes, um, as humans, we like to set a lot of goals and goals have like an access or it's like, okay, this is done, this is checked off or it has a failure rate. It's like, okay, I failed. Um, and what I love about using intention with ceremony and with being in the wilderness is it's putting a hope out there for yourself. It's putting like a, like a general direction in which you wanna go. And it's really like honing in and creating a framework for deeper, more intentional work, not to use the word in the definition, um, but deeper inner work. So with intention, we can use ceremony to help create that intention. In our society right now, we do not have enough ceremony. Ceremony is simply a marker that is allowing us to recognize something in time and space. We're like noting that like this is something powerful or just something that was cool. And we're not creating space around that. The only ceremonies that I can really think of that as our society goes, that we're like regularly interacting with is um, we're using marriages, we're using deaths. And maybe if you're religious, you have baptisms and first communions and things along those lines. But otherwise we don't have a lot of ceremony around these big markers in our lives, maybe graduation ceremonies also, but they're not really um, marking things in the way that we really want it to often. And we have little moments in our lives every day that I believe like would be that I believe deserve ceremony. We deserve to remember things and to mark it, to marker it. Um, and there's a quote, I can't remember the guy who it is, I'll have to tell you later, but um, ceremony is the idea of creating intention to like 
corner and really like mark down attention. So we're really trying to bring all of our attention together um, and create this intention. And it's just like a really beautiful way to do it. That's kind of wordy and jumbled, uh, but they both come together and something happens when we slow down. Something happens when we really like look at something and allow ourselves to be like, hey, this is a cool thing I'm doing. I'm gonna mark this and then I'm gonna move forward. Um, and it's a really special thing. Well, and it sounds like that process of slowing down and really dropping into what is present, what is right in front of us goes hand in hand with that solitude, with taking space from the checklists, from taking space from the mm -hmm. to-dos and listening to the music and the scrolling and the, blah, 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 that it's actually, they both bring this magic into our life or this infusion of vitality by just being present with what's right in front of us instead of so consumed with all of the things swirling around us. Yeah. And as women, we so often fail to honor our own process. We're failing to celebrate the things that we're doing. It's like, cool, finish that. Let's move on to the next thing. Like, great, that worked out. And it's like, hey, let's, let's pause. Let's slow down. Let's celebrate the fact that you just did this cool thing. You just did this other cool thing. And you're also still like doing all these other things. There's just so much going on that we're just failing to honor that process. And it's, it's really cool to see people honoring their processes and really stepping into it and dropping in. So to extend off of that, I know a big piece of your work is talking about the stress cycle and completing the stress cycle. Uh, so let's start with just getting on the same page here. And can you just talk about what the stress cycle is and what it means to complete it? And then we can go into a little bit more detail. Yeah, absolutely. So the stress cycle is number one in relation to burnout. And women often, we get burnt out differently than men do. And that is simply due to social conditioning, the way that our society interacts with us, the way that we interact with society. doesn't matter how woke you are, like, <laughs> doesn't matter how much of a feminist you are, how well raised you were, we still are interacting in a society that men and women are treated differently. And so women inherently are going to be burnt out in a different way than men are, because different things are expected of us. So that in relation to the stress cycle, the stress cycle is really simple. And that's what I like about it is anytime you experience something that is stressful, your body is going to go into a stress reaction. That's just happening. That's a biological, physiological thing. Um, to kind of take one step back, there's a difference between stress and stressors. So stress itself is the neurological, biological thing that's happening, all the physiology. Um, the stressor is the trigger. That is your husband asking you for the 30th time where his keys are and his wallet is. That is the guy at work sending you that email again and all of those other tasks. Those are stressors. Those have to be dealt with after we complete the stress cycle. So the stress cycle, like I said before, is that neurological, physiological thing that happens when we go in, when we experience stress. And it doesn't matter if you are recognizing that thing as stressful or not, but if your body is recognizing it as stressful, then it's doing this. We don't have any control over it. It's not like you can be like, take a couple deep breaths and like pretend like something wasn't stressful. It doesn't matter if you're being chased by a lion or finishing your taxes, your body is doing the same thing regardless. Um, and so what that looks like, there are often, a lot of us probably understand what a stress response is, but to go through a short list is 
epinephrine is pushing more blood into your muscles. Um, endorphins are helping you to ignore any discomfort. Your heart is beating faster, so your blood is pumping harder. And this is why blood pressure, high blood pressure is associated with stress. You breathe more quickly, your muscles tense. Um, that's why we have chronic neck pain and back pain and all sorts of things when we're in chronic stress or when we have stressful things happen. Um, our sensitivity to pain is diminishing. Our attention is on alert. Because if we think about where this all came from, came from like way back when, when we were literally running from lions. Way back when, if you're being chased by a lion, your body's going into a stress response, your attention has to be on alert and you have to focus on short-term here and now thinking. You have to be able to make decisions right away. And that's what's happening when your body's in a stress response. I believe that is one of the most important ones to focus on because when we are in a stress response, we're not thinking clearly. We're not able to make those bigger picture decisions because we're thinking about here and now, and you don't get to decide that. It just is happening. So when we recognize that like, oh, this is happening and we can complete this cycle, this is just like the cycle that we're getting pushed into. It's like, okay. I got to complete my stress cycle before I make this big decision. And that's what can be so powerful. Um, a couple of other random things that are really important for the stress cycle is when you're in a state of stress, um, your other organ systems are being deprioritized. Um, your digestion slows, your immune function shifts, your growth and tissue repair decrease, as well as your reproductive functioning. This is why we struggle to become pregnant when we are in a high states of stress, or this is why we have a lot of GI tract issues when we're in stress, um, a lot, lot of other things along those lines. So the point is, this is happening to our bodies. We need to fix this. I don't want this to be happening. And this is all research just to note. This is all research that comes from the book, Burnout, The Secret to Unlocking the Stress Cycle from Amelia and Emily Nagowski. Um, they're the ones who initially put a lot of this together. Uh, however, so all of this happens. We need to complete our stress cycle. How do we do this? And it's actually really simple. And we just have to do it to remember that, like when we go into a stress response, that we need to complete our stress cycle, which there are seven different ways that we can complete our stress cycle. One of them, the most efficient, effective way of completing your stress cycle is moving your body for 30 to 60 minutes. This can be running, walking, dancing. It can be tensing up all your muscles and relaxing. This can be yoga. This can be literally anything that is movement, but moving your body for 30 to 60 minutes is hands down one of the best ways. This is why exercise helps decrease stress. It's just helping your body complete that stress cycle. Because what we're trying to do is tell our nervous system, tell our physiological body that it can relax and it doesn't need to be in the state of stress anymore. Breathing is an effective way of completing your stress cycle, like good breathing exercises. Um, and I go over a few of those in a couple of other things that I teach. Positive social interaction. I love this one because it's so simple. This can be being at the checkout line at the grocery store and just like having a positive interaction with that person. Um, and really what this is doing is it's telling our brain, that lizard part of our brain, that the world is safe again and that we can let go. Big belly laughter is an effective way of completing your stress cycle. Affection. And affection has a couple parameters, meaning that it has to be with somebody that you feel safe with, having like a longer hug of like 20 to 30 seconds, or having a longer kiss that's at least six seconds can help complete your stress cycle. 
And the reasoning behind those parameters is based on the fact that like, you know, it's too, six seconds is too long to be kissing somebody that you don't feel safe with. Just hands down, it just is how it is. Uh, and that is telling our brains that like, oh, we're safe, everything's gonna be fine. Um, the last two are a big cry and creative expression. Um, and creative expression can be anything from playing guitar to painting to building something out of rocks. It could be anything along those lines. And something that's important to note about all of these is that they don't have to be in relation to the thing that caused you stress. We're working on the physiological body, not the actual trigger and all the boundaries that need to be set and all of those things. We are simply working on getting our bodies back to like a state of not being in stress. Um, so to complete that cycle, crying doesn't have to be about the thing that, that happened. Crying can be, you're watching your favorite movie that makes you cry and that makes you have a good cry. And then all of a sudden your, your body can really release. Does that all kind of make sense? I know that's a lot of information that I just kind of threw out there. No, it definitely makes sense. I mean, especially <laughs> to me, it definitely makes sense. Uh, this is, you know, kind of, <laughs> one of my favorite things to talk about is stress and yeah, how yeah. We, in the reality of managing and healing burnout, stress, anxiety, because there's so much talk about even in the modern day space of how to heal and repair these things. There's so much talk about the mindset around it. And what I love about those, the parameters you set and the techniques that you mentioned for completing the stress cycle is that it's not just your mindset that it's actually, we live in a very physical body and a physical reality. And there's real intelligence in the physical experience mm. that we're having. And that we can't just override that by sucking it up or stuffing it down or just having a positive attitude, but it goes so much deeper than that. And it's, it goes deeper, but it doesn't have to mean complicated. And I think at least one thing that I've seen in my own journey, as well as a lot of people I work with is that because of these conditionings that you mentioned earlier, we overcomplicate the stress cycle. We say it should be this way. It shouldn't be that way. I should do this. I shouldn't do that. As opposed to kind of getting that dialogue out of the way and just dropping in and recognize that I have to release somehow. And the release doesn't have to be, as you mentioned with the wilderness, like we don't have to suffer to find yep. revelation and recovery. Um, we don't have to like obsess about the stressor to cry about it. We can just cry and that's it. we also don't mm -hmm. have to cry and scream. We can also hang out with a friend and have a prolonged hug. Um, I really loved how you offered that distinction between a hug that will complete the stress cycle and just a normal hug as it's long enough that the body knows we're safe that mm -hmm. it's a way to signal our environment is safe. So I think everything you made, I mean, it made complete sense to me and I thought it was very well detailed and described. Yeah. And I want to add a little piece here that you kind of mentioned is like, oftentimes like we'll focus on that positive mindset or whatnot. And that is part of the stuff that is stressing us out and burning us out in the first place. <laughs> it's like, I have to regulate my emotions in order to be a human all the time or in order to be taken seriously. So we experience something stressful and then we think I have to be positive about this because that's what people do. That's how I make it through this is I just have to be positive. So then we completely disregard the emotion that came up 
and we get stuck. And there's this beautiful analogy of an emotional tunnel. And emotions inherently do not have a long lifespan. Like if you see a child, they will feel sad for about a minute, maybe because you took their toy away and then they're onto the next thing because they had a big cry and they're, they're moved on. And that's because emotions don't need to take up that much time. But as we grow up and we're influenced by society, and especially as women, we're constantly regulating our emotions because we need to be taken seriously. And we also want to be seen as powerful. And we also want to be seen as kind and caring and compassionate and pleasant to be around. We're doing so much regulation that we get stuck in the tunnel. So the emotion is like a tunnel that we're trying to get through. And once you get to the light at the end, you're set, you're good to go. You can move on with your life, but we get burnt out because we keep getting stuck in that tunnel because we keep feeling an emotion and being like, all right, don't have time for that right now. Let's move on. Oh, feel, felt another emotion. All right. That's another tunnel. Can't get that one done. Oh, I finished that tunnel, but I'm still in like three other tunnels. And we're completely disregarding the fact that like, yeah, when we are regulating ourselves, that's contributing to our burnout. That's not helping us. When we're saying we just need to have a positive mindset, that's not helping anybody. That's disregarding my experience as a human. And when we can do something different and complete our stress cycle and then realize that like, oh, being a human is hard. Everybody's having a hard time. Let's, let's move on. Let's get through this emotion and get on to the next thing so that I can actually function at my highest level so that I can actually be my most creative and most like powerful self. Once I actually complete that stress cycle or express that emotion and, or take the cry or have the time with the friend, the positive attitude naturally arises. It's not exactly. something I have to focus on. It's just there because exactly that stress cycle has completed. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> so, you know, of course the power of our mind is so real and mm-hmm. it's important to intervene and to evaluate and reflect. And just like the health of your body, we have to keep our minds clean and healthy, of course. But I think there's kind of a bit of an obsession with mindset and mm-hmm. you can't, it's kind of like, you can't, um, what's the phrase? It's like, you can't outrun your diet type of thing. It's like, you can't oh. overthink your stress. <laughs> you can't outthink yeah. your stress. You have to just meet it and all of what it is and recognizing that yes, we have a mindset, but we also have a body and we also have a very innate need to cry and create and connect. Um, I love that. The last thing on that list is creative expression. That's one of the three pillars of my work is creative expression. And sometimes people don't understand why it's there because it's essentially burnout mm. leadership and then creative expression, creativity. Mm. And they're like, well, what? that's kind of random. <laughs> what do you mean creativity? And I feel like that's essentially the bridge between I'm working on my suffering to I'm in my fullest potential. And it's like, well, what, how do we get from point A to point B? And I feel like that creative expression, that creativity is what helps us to see, well, what, what is my fullest potential, especially when we're accustomed to being so burnt out. So how does your approach or how does the wilderness spark or strengthen that creativity within? So there's something there's a concept here um, that I'm going to bring up a new a new term to introduce to the conversation, which is directed attention. Um, this is coming from a like scientific research about the way that humans use our attention. And if you think about it, about when we're in a city or when we're working, 
there's a lot of different things grabbing our attention and they're grabbing our attention pretty aggressively. So you're on your computer and then your phone dings and then something over here goes off and then you're walking down the street and there's a billboard flashing and this car is honking its horn and I almost got hit by a car. There's a biker coming out. There's a lot of things grabbing our attention. And the important thing to note is you only, as a human brain goes, the way it is, we don't get to change this part either, is we only have so much attention that we can direct throughout the day. And in our modern society, our brains have simply not evolved as quickly as our technology. That's another fact. So our directed attention is getting depleted faster and faster um, every day. And one of the most effective ways to restoring our directed attention is spending time outside and being in a natural environment. And that's something that blows my mind. And the reasoning makes a ton of sense. If we think about if you're going for a hike, and this is all in the parameters of you're outside somewhere that's safe. <laughs> you're not in like a torrential downpour that you've never been in before and you know like as long as you know how to keep yourself safe in this environment and you're not like worried about predators or anything scary like that. Um, if we're going for a hike and we're looking out at a view, nature is still grabbing our attention in the same way that like other things do, but not the same way. Because nature is grabbing our attention modestly. It's not like aggressively saying like, hey, look at me over here. Hey, look at me over here, here, here. Hey, look at me over here. Maybe that happens in like a lightning storm and you're like, oh, wow, there's a lot going on. Uh, but general sunsets grab our attention modestly. And what that does is it helps to restore our brain. Our brain spending 60 minutes outside um, in nature can restore your directed attention back. A couple of other ways to restore your directed attention is sleep. So getting good sleep every night um, and then also uh breathing exercises or meditation um, are great ways to restore your directed attention. But directed attention is in direct relation to our creativity, to our efficiency, to our effectiveness, everything else in work. So if we think about all the things we wanna be able to do, we often wanna be creative in our work. We wanna be seen as somebody who's efficient and effective. We don't wanna get exhausted all the time. We don't wanna feel like crap. We wanna feel awesome like you did when you first started that job. Um, and spending time in nature is inherently good for our brains. There's something in the way that we have evolved that nature is calming to us. It calms our brains and it just brings out more creativity. It just does. There's just a bunch of research that has happened that spending time in nature helps our creativity. People come back from time in nature or they spend time in nature and they are more creative. And there's been a bunch of different research on this. Uh, which is something that I love so much. It's so simple. And yet it seems so challenging to do, to just go outside and get into nature. So this helps inherently us heal our burnout. And the longer periods of time that you spend in nature, the better it is for our brains. So 60 minutes a day is obviously the crumb of the crop, the best thing that you can do on a daily basis. If you can get outside for five or 10 minutes and you've been in an office all day, just go outside and enjoy the sunset or the sunrise or the clouds or the grass. Look at the bugs crawling around in the grass. Something like that can be extremely restorative to our brains. Um, and even longer periods of time. So like the event that I run, Solitude, it's three days and we spent all three days in nature and everybody who comes out to these 
um, events, every single person goes home more creative, more calm. They have like the best quarter at work afterwards. Like all of these things that are just following suit of what happens when we spend time alone and we spend time in nature. It allows our brains to heal. And, and it's a really beautiful thing. I love how you spoke to that nature calls our attention, but the difference is that it's in a modest way. It's not that this louder, faster, more intense, more colorful, more da, 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 you know, just that hyper-stimulated culture that mm-hmm. we live in that, um, as you mentioned earlier, when we are in that chronic stress state, we become desensitized to pain or we become desensitized to that discomfort and overwhelm. And so it's almost like the more stress we become, the more stimulation we need in order to be stimulated. And the marketing world knows that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yep. and social media well, knows do. that. And so I just observe, I mean, haven't my both of our businesses are on social media. You essentially have to be on social media if you run a business now. Uh, and, and we live in the modern day world. We're on a phone, you're on a computer. Da, da, da. And I observe that intensity just only growing in its, in its intensity. And so I love that you spoke to the difference is that it's modest. And in that modesty, in that simplicity, in that kind of more of like a lean back approach, that's where they, the repa- repairing actually happens. And So I guess just speaking to, even if you are only taking five minutes outside to not stay in that loop of the intensity by scrolling on your phone Mm -hmm. (laughs) or putting your headphones in, it's like, can we actually just, as you said, watch the insects in the grass or feel the breeze on your face and actually learn how to be in relationship with modesty or simplicity and less instead of always being in this loop of, I need more, 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 more. Absolutely. And it's vital to our health. Like the, the big key factor to all of this, I'm promoting us getting outside and completing our stress cycle. But if we don't, our stress will kill us. Like heart disease is one of the leading causes of death and it's only rising. And all of our coping mechanisms in association to our stress are also rising. And we will literally kill ourselves. And I want women to not be killing themselves <laughs> over their stress. There are a million other things in the world working against us. Let's not work against ourselves. Like if we're having chronic pain, let's figure it out. Let's go to the good doctors that are going to listen to our real symptoms. And let's also like realize how our stress is an effect to this and how we can literally make ourselves ill by being in a state of stress always. It's just, it's so vital. It's so vital to our well-being um, outside of just the emotional experience of being a human. I was just talking to my friend this morning who is having a mega stressful year, Um, just one of those years where it just rains, it pours type of thing. And Mm -hmm. she's 25 and we were on FaceTime and she said, look at all these wrinkles I got just, I've gotten just this year. And even just in the last few months, they really arose. And I sat there and I said, yeah, I remember in my mid twenties, I had a really stressful time, you know, again, when it rains, it pours. And all of a sudden I just had a bunch of gray hairs pop up and it's Mm -hmm. such this proof in the pudding, that stress, that high intensity stress literally ages the body more quickly 
Like it literally moves us towards death more quickly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and all the data in the world is out there. All the research on stress is out there to validate that. And you don't have to go that far into the research to, to see that. As you mentioned, it no. impacts our organ, every organ in the body. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that, that this isn't just for, you know, like, let's just try and live a more inspired life. This is essential to our survival and mm-hmm. to having a life at all, as opposed to just barely getting by until the end. Um, so I'm glad you mentioned that, that this is essential for our, our health and well-being and survival. Absolutely. It's like, what is it worth? Like having all the money in the world or being in a successful job is great, but like, is it really helping you? Are you able to manage that stress? Like that is in my, but that also goes to what does it mean to be a human to you? What is your goal in that human experience? And what is that ident? Where is your identity base? Um, and that's also some interesting, like beautiful work that happens to a lot of people when they come out onto these events, these solitude, spending time alone. We really get to sink into that identity and learn who we are and what we want in life. And oftentimes it's not to be stressed out all the time. <laughs> it's like, oh, I can do this differently. I don't have to hyper-focus on this part of my life. And that that's a really beautiful thing. So for anyone that's listening and wants to explore this further, in addition to your solitude retreats, do you have any other offerings that you'd like to share? Yeah. I also have a six week online course that is made to be easy access, um, to learning about the wilderness and nature more, and also learning about emotional processes more. Um, The six week online course, it can be done at your own pace. And if you do it in the six weeks, you can also do one-on-one coaching with me. So with this course, you can then also sign up, um, have a weekly Zoom call with me where we chat about where you're at and we relate what you learned that week to what's going on with you. Um, I'm really interested in helping people do the real talk. Like we're going to get into it. We're going to talk about what's hard, what's not. And we're going to try to help us make different decisions if we need to be making different decisions or see things in a different light. Um, Just having a sounding board is a really effective way. And I love this online course so much because I created created it during COVID um, and (laughs) during like what's the big quarantine. And during that time, I was really sinking into how reflective like physical manifestations are to our emotional processes. So I'm bringing hard skills, like teaching you real things about how to um, be in nature, be in the wilderness, how to do trips, how to get outside on your own, how to get into nature on your own, as well as these emotional things that really can coincide. So one big thing I often bring up is failure. We love to maximize our failures. And also when we fail, when we're cooking in the wilderness, it's not a big deal. We don't like maximize it too much. We're like, shoot, I guess I screwed up this meal and I'm going to eat it anyways. Um, But when we fail at something else, we make it a bigger deal. And when we have something physical to really like weigh it against, um, and this goes throughout the entire course, we're really weighing things against a physical manifestation. It helps us to really put into perspective what's going on um, and where the true root of our burnout is. It's really a cool thing to be able to share. And I love the online course. It's a really fun way um, to get to work with people and get to know other people's burnout. And where can people find you if they want to learn more about this? 
Yeah, you can go to groundingsource.com. Um, that's my website or on Instagram. You can just go to, it's just grounding source. Um, and you can send me a DM on there. I'm going to be opening a brand new Facebook group here in a week to really help support women in their burnout in a different way. Um, so if you're interested in that and you find me on Instagram, just be like, Hey, I heard about this Facebook group on this podcast. Can I get in on that? And I can send you a link over to that. So there's a few different ways, but the number one way is definitely my website and Instagram groundingsource.com. Perfect. And I always like to ask if there's any last words that you want to share. It could be like a favorite teaching, a big story, or like a favorite quote that you have that guides you in your life, like a last little tidbit to share. Mm. I just want to share how much the wilderness changed my life. And that's why I use it as such a powerful um, access point. And I want to make it easier for other people to also experience that. And it's so cool to see women functioning at like their highest, most powerful self. It's, it's my mission in life. It's what I'm working towards in every aspect um, is supporting women to be as confident and as powerful and as empowered and as excited about life as they can be. And I will say as somebody who has spent weeks and weeks and weeks living outside, everything Marissa is speaking to is so valid. It is so real. So if you are feeling the pull, if you are feeling interested, I definitely recommend um, diving more deeply into this because as she mentioned, there's real, or as you mentioned, I guess, Marissa, there's a real magic that happens that can't be found in the inside technological world. So thank you so much for being here today. It's been such a treasure. I really appreciate all of your insight and all of your input and everything you're offering to the world. Uh, thank you. It's been so fun to chat about all of this with you and to hear your perspective on it all. It's, it's always so fun. So fun to chit chat about burnout and stress and help people become their best selves. May it be so. <laughs> May it be so. Wasn't that amazing? For more incredible offerings, be sure to subscribe and rate the podcast and find us on social media to join the community of women who are obsessed with reaching their fullest potential. As always, may you walk with grace and courage, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>